then you can follow along that way. Uh, But before we read and hear from God's word, let's pray together. God, thank you for this book. Um, Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. Move us, change us, transform us, help us, help us to listen. Speak to us for for we are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So we'll start with Isaiah 55, and I love these words. Come, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you, you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, God says, listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Then we'll flip over to 2 Timothy 3, starting at 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We will go that far. So, we are in the middle of what's called the season of Lent. Palm Sunday's two weeks away, and we'll be celebrating Easter the week after that. Can you believe that? It seems like all of a sudden, it's like been a long spring, and now all of a sudden, Easter's here almost. It's already upon us. Now, so this season of Lent is the season during which Jesus' people all over the world sort of acknowledge all of the ways in which we've turned our lives away from God. And then we intentionally make an effort to turn our lives, our hearts, our souls back to God. And sometimes we do this in very intentional ways. Like one of the ways that people often live into the season of Lent and turn their lives back to God is by giving up something for Lent. Have you heard of this? Yeah? How many, did anybody do that this year? Yes! We've got some people who did it. Normally we hear Catholics are, are big into this. And normally, sometimes we'll get into this and, and we'll like, we'll give up caffeine, which for a lot of us is like, oh, that's bad news for our neighbors and family members and friends and stuff, at least for a little while. Or we'll give up something like chocolate or alcohol or pop or, or something like that, right? So we give up something. Uh, for the season of Lent. And the reason we do this uh, is so that we can sort of uh, remind ourselves that our lives don't depend on those things. And that ultimately our lives depend upon 
de- depend upon the, the divine. Now, here's my, thing about, here's my thing about Lent, and I'm not the one who made this up, um, and other people are, are with me on this one. So, uh, what I think about Lent, if, you, if you're going to give something up for Lent, uh, then I think it's also a good idea to pick something up. So, if you're getting rid of something, replace it with something that actually helps you sort of lean into the presence of God in your relationship with the divine. So oftentimes people will, will pick up a spiritual discipline like prayer. And so they'll, be, they'll, they'll start a regular prayer time in the morning before they go to work or before they start their day or, or maybe mid-morning or lunch or that time around three in the afternoon when everybody's like wanting to take a nap. Uh, and go to sleep, they'll, they'll take some time there and be like, I'm going to lean into the presence of God. Uh, or some people will, will say, I'm going to read Scripture a little more often. I'm going to pick up the Bible, and I'm, and I'm going to read it, right? So this morning, what I'm going to encourage you to do, everyone here, I'm going to encourage you to, to pick up this book just a, a little bit more often as we head towards Easter. Uh, maybe do something crazy like read through the whole entire gospel of Mark in one sitting. It's not very long. It's the shortest of all the Jesus stories. It won't take you long to get through it. Read through the whole thing in one sitting and then make your way slowly through it, ending with the death and resurrection of Jesus as we get there for Easter. So I'm going to encourage you to do that. And since I've just encouraged you to do that, I'm going to spend the rest of my time this morning talking about this book. And the way I'm going to talk about this book is by first talking about how Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. And I promise you it will all make sense. Right? So Jesus told all kinds of stories about what he called the kingdom of God. Or in Matthew's gospel, it's the kingdom of heaven. And you can find these stories in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven as like a, a seed being hidden in ordinary soil. And then suddenly this seed bursts forth into this bush that gives shade to the birds of the air. It's like, oh, it was hidden. And now it's boom, it's out in the open. It's unexpected grace for the animals. He talked about the kingdom of God being like yeast hidden in ordinary dough, right? It's hidden in there and then it goes to work and it gives the dough shape and form and it becomes a beautiful scrumptious loaf of bread, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven as being like a treasure hidden in a field. And then this guy goes and looks and he finds it and it's invaluable and it changes his life forever. He talked about the kingdom of heaven as being a a pearl of great price and this merchant goes searching for it and then he finds it in the marketplace and it's valuable and it changes his life forever. So Jesus told these stories that were all about the joy of finding something valuable or finding something priceless while just looking around in the ordinary, right? And according to Jesus, the greatest joy comes from finding the kingdom of heaven while looking around in the ordinary, God's reign, God's rule, God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, God's presence, it's all available to us in the ordinary. Like, we don't have to get all mystical. We don't. We don't have to try our best to sort of, to sort of get out of our flesh and blood in order to experience the presence of the divine. It's all available to us 
in and through the ordinary. We don't have to be super good people or extra moral people in order to gain admittance into the kingdom of God. It's all available, free, right here. Everything we need is right here and right now. We sometimes have these moments together when we gather here for worship in the middle of all this ordinariness. These are ordinary chairs. This is an ordinary building. This is ordinary carpet. It's kind of dirty, but it's ordinary. And we, we experience here in this place these moments, these kingdom moments where God all of a sudden breaks through and, oh, we have this experience of the divine, right? Heaven and earth sort of come together. We have this experience in the sacraments, right? Ordinary water. I got it from out of that faucet back there. It's ordinary, right? And yet somehow, some way, God shows up and we have an experience of the divine. It's what, an ex- it's what a sacrament is, heaven and earth coming together, ordinary bread, ordinary juice, purchased at high V, right? And yet, when we have communion together, there's this sense that something extra is happening here. God is present. We experience the kingdom right here in the middle of all of this ordinary stuff. And if we can experience the kingdom, the presence of God in the middle of all of this ordinariness, then we can experience and expect to experience the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the grace of God out there in the middle of all of that ordinariness between Sundays. God is available in the ordinary. Which brings me to this book. This book is another place where we can experience kingdom moments, the kingdom of God in the middle of something ordinary. This book right here is something that we call the Bible. We call it scriptures. We could call it the kingdom book, right? In this book, there are all kinds of kingdom moments just waiting to be discovered, just waiting to be discovered. But think about it. It's just an ordinary book. It's got a cover, just like every other book. It's got binding, right? In the middle of it, there are pages. There are words on the pages. There are numbers on the pages, just like every book, so that we can find our place and figure out where we are, right? This book is profoundly human, in nature. It was written by normal human beings, lots of human beings who are a lot like me and a lot like you, believe it or not, a lot like you, having experiences of the divine in their lives and as a community and then recording them, writing them down, putting them in this book, ordinary people, compiling this book together, right? It's profoundly human, but it's also something more. Right? Listen to what Paul says. He says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that every person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped. Another way to translate that is so that every person of God may become proficient. I'll talk about that in a minute. Equipped for every good work. In other words, this is the field where the seed is planted. This is the, the dough in which the yeast is working. 
This is the field where the treasure might be found. This is the marketplace where the pearl of great price is hidden, just waiting to be discovered if we look for it, if we search for it, if we go after it. Right there. Right, so I'm going to spend a few moments saying three things about this book. First, Scripture, the Bible, we believe is God-breathed or Sometimes we like to say it's inspired by God, but Paul uses this phrase, it is God-breathed. The whole thing, not just the parts that we find easy to agree with, not just the parts that we find easy to follow, all of it, not just the Jesus stuff, all of it, the whole thing, it's God-breathed. When the, the Greek word behind that word is like two Greeks, Greek words smashed together, theos and pneuma, Theos, which is God, pneuma, which is wind, spirit, breath. It is God breathed from the first page to the last. In all its different literary forms, throughout all the different voices, through all the parts that are easy to understand and all the parts that are hard to understand and have us frustrated. Some things in the Bible make us shake our fist at it because we don't like it or we can't understand it or we can't wrap our minds up around it. But from the first page to the last, in this book, through this book, God is breathing through this book, the Bible, God is seeking to, to sort of breathe his life in us. Heaven and earth, once again, coming together in the ordinary. That means that all of what we read in this book is infinitely more reliable than anything else that we can read in the world. When we flip through the pages of this book, this ordinary book. We are gaining access. Think about this. We are gaining access to the revealed intelligence of the most beautiful mind in the universe, the beautiful mind that is behind the creation of heaven and earth. When we flip through the pages of this book, God is revealing God's wisdom. We are, we are gaining access to the wisdom behind the creation of of heaven and earth and everything in between. Think about this. Even though the Bible was written over the course of centuries by people who didn't know each other and didn't necessarily read each other's stuff, there's still like a, a unification of the themes in the book that we can see as we read through it. It's staggeringly accurate in its depiction of reality and people and the human condition and has been relevant to literally every single culture and people group that it has touched. There's no other book like it. There's no other book like it. Now, <laughs> some people have gone like way overboard in looking for odd and weird numerical like things, codes in the Bible. Are you familiar with some of this stuff? Like, like you see stories about it on the History Channel. Like I could get sucked into these all day and night because they're just, sometimes I think they're hilarious, right? But, but I want to, I wanna now I think some of them go way, way, way too far, but I want to share with you, I want to share, <laughs> Carrie's laughing hard. <laughs> anyway, uh, I want to share with you one, one interesting fact that, that I just think is neat. 
uh, about the Bible. So the shortest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 117. Maybe you're familiar with this. Maybe you've gotten the forwarded email or the thing posted on Facebook, right? The shortest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 117. The longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. Guess which book, which chapter in the Bible is in the middle of the Bible, the exact middle chapter of the Bible? Psalm 118. So the shortest is 117, the longest is 119, and the middle between that is the exact middle chapter. There are 594 chapters that come before Psalm 118. There are 594 chapters that come after Psalm 118. You add those two numbers together, 594 times two, check my math, it's 1188, 1188. Now, Guess which verse is in the middle of the Bible? Psalm 118, verse 8. You want to know what it says? <laughs> it says this. <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if it was something really dumb? Anyway, <laughs> it says this. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. The exact middle of the Bible says that. That is so cool. Now, there are some people who say, now this is proof that this book was put together by one brilliant mind, like that God is behind this. I don't know if I'd go quite that far. I just think it's cool and thought I'd share it with you. <laughs> so here's the deal. This book, we believe, has been breathed out over centuries into and through the lives of real, live, ordinary people, not unlike you, not unlike me. And it's been breathed out and people recorded their experiences of the creator and what God has been up to and is up to in the world now by the creator of the universe is behind that scripture. This book, we believe, is God-breathed. We have access to the mind and heart and presence of God through this book. Now, that's the first idea. Here's the second one. This kingdom book is useful. It's not my word, I know it's kind of boring. It's Paul's word. He says it's useful. And I happen to think that it's useful in the deepest sense possible. I mean, think about this. Think about how much information we're bombarded with every day. Every single day, we are bombarded with all kinds of words, all kinds of information, all kinds of stuff from every different direction we can imagine. From books to magazines. Does anybody still read magazines? Nope. No magazines, not going into that business. Uh, anything on the internet, right, which includes social media is probably the biggest one, right? But then we get, we get television through the internet now. So we got Hulu and Netflix and whatever else it is that we're involved with. All of this information coming at us from all kinds of different direction every single day of our lives. Does anyone still listen to the radio? 
I listen to the radio in my vehicle on my way to and from work. Anybody else do this still, this ancient thing called the radio? Yeah, we have words, information coming at us all the time, every day. Let me ask you a question. How much of it is useful? In the deepest sense, how much of it is useful? Like not very much of it at all, right? Why spend money on that which is not bread and your labor on that which does not satisfy? Oh my goodness, we do this all the time. God says, listen to me, listen to me. Eat, consume what is good. And your soul, oh, it'll be filled with the richest affair. Most of what hits us, most of what we consume, it's just not very useful at all. Not, not anywhere close. Right? This book is useful. In the deepest sense, it's, it's useful for teaching right? Values and ways of being in this world. For teaching that to our children. For teaching us how to be with our neighbors and friends. How to be with those we work with. It's, it's useful for rebuke. Because sometimes we need rebuke, right? This book is useful. It shows us those parts of our lives that, that just are filled with junk or places where, where we're engaged in behavior that it's just, we know it's not helpful or ways of thinking that we know can sort of lead us down a path that will ruin us, right? So it's useful for rebuking. Anybody here not need rebuke once in a while? We need rebuke. But it doesn't leave us there. That's the great part about this book and how useful it is. It doesn't leave us there. It doesn't leave us there leave, feeling, feeling guilty and horrible about who we are and what we've become. No, 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 no. It's also useful for correcting, showing us who God has truly called us to be, right? In this book, we encounter the grace and love and mercy of God, and it shows us a better way, a better way of living, a life of love and self-sacrifice. It's also useful for training in righteousness, which means it can train us to live our lives as God intended us to live our lives, loving God and loving others. Where else in this world will you hear things like this? I'll just give you two examples. Two examples. There's all kinds of treasures hidden in this field that you can search for later. I'll give you two. Where else in this world do you hear stuff like this? It's better to give than to receive. That comes from this book. You won't hear that out there. Do we get that message from the world? No, no, no. In fact, we get the opposite. Take, get, acquire, you want more? Go get it. Accumulate as much as you can. That's what we're taught. That, that message is bombarded. We get bombarded with that message every day, all the time. This book says, no, no, no. It's better to give than to receive. And when you hear that, you instantly recognize it as true because you've experienced it. It's better to give than to receive. Oh, 
It's better to give your life away than to be selfish. We know this. Where else do you find that? What about this one? Love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Where else are you going to hear that? Do we hear that out there? We don't hear that. That's not the message that gets... We don't get that message anywhere else. Where else do you find stuff like that? Right? Nowhere else will we find anything close to being as useful as this book when it comes to teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. This book is useful in the deepest sense. That's the second idea. Here's the third one. Helps us become proficient. Now, another way you can translate this verse is like this. So that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient equipped for every good work. It helps us become proficient. Do we know that? We don't use that word very often. Proficient means well-advanced in art, occupation, or knowledge. It means a master or someone who's an expert in something. If you're proficient in something, you're a master of it. You're an expert at it. Would anyone here in this room like to be an expert in every good work? Anyone? I got one. Anybody else? Would you love to be an expert in every good work? Yeah, me too. You know what I'd love to be an expert at? I'd love to be an expert spouse. Oh, I would love that. Sorry, babe. Maybe one day. I would love to be an expert spouse. And and apparently, we get that from this book and through this book. Not necessarily some magical list of everything you need to do to be an expert spouse, but as we encounter God, and as we encounter His presence, and we follow Jesus through what we find here in this book, we just naturally become better people, which includes, I'll become a better spouse. We get that from this book. I'd love to be a, an expert parent. Anybody else? Loved it. Samuel, Caleb, sorry, man. I'm not perfect. Maybe one day, right? Dad, you're getting there. You got ways to go. <laughs> but apparently we get that from this book. Mom, you're there. You've been there for years. <laughs> not necessarily like a list that says this is how you need to become a perfect parent. No. But as we encounter God and as we encounter his presence and as we follow Jesus, we, we come to this point where we, we're changed, we're transformed, we're made new, right? We become experts in every good work. I'd love to be an expert in uh, managing resources. Wouldn't that be great? How about this one, handling conflict? Would you like to be an expert in that? Oh my goodness, we need a whole lot more people who are better at that at joining it. Well, I'd love to be an expert at joining with what God is up to in the world. Apparently, we get that from this book. Would you like those things too? Yeah. Well, I have a confession to make. I'm only of limited help to you. Let's just be real about it. I'm only of real, I'm the expert in quotes, right? I've been to seminary right? That's great. But I'm only of limited help to you, right? When we gather here on Sunday mornings, right, what I offer you from this book, whatever teaching that comes from it, it's just a snack 
Or better yet, it's, it's like an appetizer. That's all it is. It's an appetite. Don't give me too much credit. I'm serious about that. It's an appetizer. I hope it's good. I hope it's healthy. And I hope it, I hope it tastes great. But I hope it also whets your appetite. I hope that after what we do here in the morning, on Sunday mornings, week after week after week, I hope you walk out the doors hungry for more. That's what I hope, right? Because what we all need, all of us here, we all need a little bit more, a whole lot more of what we experience during this time on a Sunday morning. We need like a big old heaping Thanksgiving day meal plate of this stuff every day of our lives. And the only way we get that is if we learn to feed each other and we all take responsibility for for feeding ourselves, which means reading a little more in this book. God says, come to the waters. You who are thirsty, are you thirsty? Come to the waters. Come, buy and eat. Even though you have nothing, come, buy wine and milk. It's right here for you, and it's so good. Now, I understand that many of us feel inadequate in this area. Like, we don't know where to start. We don't know how to pick it up. Sometimes we're confused. We don't know what to do. That's okay. Guess what? Every week when I start preparing whatever it is I'm going to eventually say to you, I sit down and I'm like, how do I do this? Like, I feel inadequate. So we're all there. And that's cool. That's fine. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to give you some tools for that. And there's sheets of paper. There's a stack on that table back there. And there's sort of tools that, will, that can be helpful to you when you approach Scripture, when you read it. And you can read it in a small group. You can use these tools in a small group setting. You can use them by yourself. Uh, I was going to run through right now, but no, nah, I'm not going to do that. You can read. Uh, so I hope you'll pick one up, and I hope you'll take it home, and I hope you'll be like, yeah, one of these will work for me. I'll give you my favorite one. So the last tool on there is called the up, in, and out method, right? I made that up, by the way. I didn't make up the, the tool. I just renamed it because it fits us, right? So the first, you read any portion of Scripture, and I, this is often how I start preparing for whatever it is I'm going to say. You read, it, you read a portion of Scripture, any portion. It could be a, a poem from the Psalms or a story from the Old or New Testament or a letter. It doesn't matter. You read a portion of it and you ask yourself the up question. What does this say about God? Simple. What is this revealing to me about God and who God is and how God operates in the world? Ask yourself the up question. Then... Write it down. Then ask yourself the in question. What does this say about me? What does this say about humanity? What does this say about the human condition? What does this say about the world? Ask the in question. Then ask the out question. What is this asking me to do? Where is this calling me to serve? Real simple questions. You can do that on your own. You can do that with a group of people. You can do that with a small group. It's really simple, up, in, and out. What does this say about God? What does this say about me? What is this calling me to do? Right? Really, 
really easy. So I hope you'll pick it up. I hope you'll bring it home. And I hope you'll lean into it. Listen to what God says. Come. Come, all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. If you're hungry and you don't feel like you have anything, like you're totally inadequate to open this book and read it and understand it, come. Buy and eat, even if you got no money. Buy milk, buy wine. Listen to me. Eat what is good, and you will be filled with the richest of fare. Give here to me. Give ear to me. Hear what I'm saying to you, that your soul may live. Let's pray. God, thank you for, for this book. Thank you for what this book says about this book. Thank you for, for how it's been relevant in our lives. Um, Thank you for how it, it binds us together. Thank you for how you speak to us. Thank you for transforming us by your spirit through what we find on the pages of this book. And we ask, oh God, that, that you just spark something new in us. Help us to, help us to, to lean into it a little bit more if, if that's on our own or, or with a group of people. Inspire us, oh God so that we can become more and more the kind of people that you want us to be. We're surrounded and bombarded with all kinds of information. And we recognize that we, just, we need more of you. We need more of you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. <laughs>